everyone, it's Lila Provenza here, and this is The Honest by VetAhead. Every episode, I get to pick the brains of brilliant, inspiring, and honest guests about their lives, passions, and everything and anything we want to discuss. We use the veterinary world just as an excuse to talk to fascinating people. Today, I had Franciele Mafton. What a holocaustor! Finding out all the things I actually have. We discuss anxiety, we discuss depression, we discuss tools to mitigate those and uh, everything else. I really think I need to call my therapist and increase my sessions. I'm not sure once a week will be enough because I need more help. Talking to her was eye-opening and will be for you too. Did you know that actually having a to-do list is not okay? It's Well, I guess I let my to-do list govern my life. I guess that's the part that's not okay. She will talk and explain everything about that to us. So, fasten your seatbelts and let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Honest by VetaHead. I'm your host, Lila Proença, and today I have a special treat for you. I have here with me uh, Franciele Mafiton. She is a neuroscientist. We are going all Big Bang Theory today. She is um, a super accomplished professional. Um, she is uh, right now recording from Brazil. This is an international podcast. I am in such a glamorous place. I'm inside of my closet, um, surrounded by blankets to muffle the sound. So I hope that works for you guys. Uh, Franciele is a psychologist and she has a, a master's degree in neuroscience. Um, what is the name? Hello, Franciele. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So, uh, Franceli, where did you do your master's degree? In Reading University in England. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah she I've just came back to Brazil, right? Yeah, I've just finished it, so it's not published yet, but it will be soon, hopefully. And, uh, Franceli, for our listeners, what is your area of um, interest in your master's degree? What was your dissertation or thesis about? Well, my master was uh, co cognitive neuroscience, which we call cognero, which is a area of psychology that studies how the brain and actually how our body works uh, when cognition is required. So this is the, 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 major, the major idea of this master. But my uh, research was about affection and emotions. So there's a part of uh, neuroscience and cognition that is called affective neuroscience. So this is actually what I've, I've studied uh, <laughs> there. And then my thesis is about how emotions impact in stress or vice versa, how stress impacts on emotions. So. Which is, I think, will be everything, right? We don't realize how much our emotions play a role yeah. and trigger us and basically command our bodies without us even, even realizing that. Even realizing, yeah. Well, what we know is that almost 90, 92 more, we don't know the number exactly, but 92 more percent of our brain acts unconsciously, uh, which, which means we are not conscious 90% of the time about wh what our brain is doing. And we used to think that we use more, that mm. we are always conscious, but we actually not. And then emotions, they are in this bunch of 90% of things that we don't realize we're doing. 
So we could say that 90% of our time, we don't know what we're thinking or feeling exactly. So this is why we get triggered so much. I would agree. I'm like 100% <laughs> of my time in fight and flight mode. Like I'm always yeah. trying, like thinking something's going to happen and try, ready to defend myself. And um, it's, yeah. It's, I'm trying yeah. to become more aware of, so especially veterinary medicine, because I think it's important. Um, we might have a lot of students listening to it. And I think a lot of people have a romantic idea what what is to be a vet, but uh, because of the animals, but majority of our work, it's actually people. So we are yeah. um, selling a product all the time, which vets usually hate to do. Um, and not necessarily good at selling, yeah. but we are selling our service. We are selling our product, which is veterinary medicine and um, dealing with the owner's emotions. And people come with so much baggage, right? Because usually yeah. they're coming to you because they have a problem and it's all sorts of people. And you go from one appointment where, you know, you might be seeing a puppy or in our case, like a baby bunny. And the next one you're dealing with the euthanasia, which I do want to talk to you about. Wow, um, that must be harsh. The, it is harsh. It's yeah. very harsh. And I think a lot of us take it for granted. So, but I, I kind of jumped already there. I just, um, yeah, I want also at Veta Head, um, at our The Honest by Veta Head podcast, really we use the veterinary world just as an excuse to talk to fascinating people. Really? And <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, we don't talk about idea. veterinary medicine at all. We talk about the the pet human inside of us and in okay. um, our trajectories, our, you know, life experiences, the messy life experience and human experience in this world. And, and that's what we try to bring. So people out there might be asking, how is Francielle connected to the veterinary world? Well, um, she's my cousin. So <laughs> she's connected yeah. right there. <laughs> she's connected yeah. right there. So but, that's but your to, connection but, to the yeah, veterinary world. But to be honest, I, here in Brazil, so one of my, I have a lot of professional activities and one of them is that I have my, uh, like a training company and uh, I train like a consultancy, but I train leaders and people from big companies in human relationships and uh, mental health and everything. And, uh, and changing things and how to not suffer every day uh, with the everyday job. And a lot of my clients are, uh, are from, from this area. So I have a lot of clients from oh, the wow. agro, the agro business. And a lot of them are uh, veterinarians. So oh, I kind wow. of know, yeah. And, and it's very hard for them sometimes to get into this uh, psychic word, which they call mm -hmm. or the psychology. Thing yep. Because for them, they always say that they haven't learned anything about that at all. In fact, they kind of learned not how not to deal with it. And, and yep. for some of them, even the reason for them to have chosen to work with animals is because they didn't get along with people as well. And then all of a the sudden they have to work with people and be leaders because, uh, of course, yeah. a lot of them just grow in the career, become leaders, and then they have to lead people and then uh, not be as technical as they wanted to. So I kind of, I, I understand this word because I have a, a, like a few clients with this profile. More That's than amazing. More than I would say. Yeah, yeah I've trained more, more than, than 100? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I would say that you just nailed it because that's really what happens to us. I happen to love um, learning and studying about leadership. I try to educate myself. I take courses. I read books. But, and I like the interaction with the owners. I love 
I came to realize that I love learning about people's journeys in life. So, of course, there are some interactions that are not pleasant. Mm -hmm. But I'm learning now to take it personally. It's very hard because we take our passion to heart. And, um, you know, it's hard to to say that person is not angry at me, it's angry and frustrated at the situation. But yes, a lot of, there is research also showing that a lot of veterinarians, they are introverts and they go, and that's kind of the trait and they uh, have to be caring people, sensitive people. uh, And then that kind of, uh, the whole other side that you just described, being a leader. um, Well, once you get out of vet school, you already have an assistant. So you already need to lead that person Mm -hmm. (laughs) and tell that person what to do and develop a working relationship where that person's working directly with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, you just nailed it. It's very hard with not trained uh, at all to deal with those things. And and we become department heads because someone has to, and then we become medical directors. and, And those things we were not trained to do. A lot yeah. of technicians go to man- become managers in the hospital. Again, they're not yeah. trained to do that. Yeah. It's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And even the yeah. ones who go uh, toward the path of research to be researchers or academic people, it's also very hard because one thing I learned from academic life is that uh, despite we study people, we are not in the academy, we are not ready to deal with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because once you become a researcher, people kind of, um, they are not people anymore. They are resources or subjects of a study. And or, So I can't imagine how it is for uh, people from your field that has, you haven't, you haven't studied about people, you don't study about people. And then when you go and when you go to the academy to become yeah. a researcher, you have to deal with all those people with this politic uh, environment. Yeah. And writing grants and yes. having to pitch your grants. And like, yeah. that's a like sales, sales job right there. Yes. And, and a lot of pressure to write. Uh, so I, I'm not sure. Well, I haven't learned any kind of professional who has learned how to deal with pressure. I don't think we, because we're not made to deal with pressure, yeah. right? So yeah. I can imagine it must be harder even. Yeah. One question I, I start with is like, why did you choose to work with that field? Like, what which field? To, which which one? With the field you work right now with your you just finished your master's degree, like working as a psychologist yeah. and with mental health and like Yeah. Well I've been um, I've been working with HR because I've been the in the inside of the company. So once I've graduated I was I already had the experience of working inside of the companies. So I used to work with training and development. Um, I'm very passionate about development and uh, one of my purposes in life is to, I think my purpose in life at all, is to help the world to become a better place through people so people can understand how they are, how they feel and become better for themselves because I think this is, this is our responsibility uh, just to become the best as we can. So this, uh, based on that, I worked inside companies uh, for a few years, for 10, 10 more years. I don't know exactly how many years. I think it's 10 or 12. And then uh, after a long time working with them, I just realized there were certain things that I was not allowed to do inside the company because I was in there working with them. I had this uh, connection with people inside. So there are things that I couldn't say. And I also felt that what my bosses wanted from me was something that people didn't need. 
So there was there was this gap of what people needed, what I could a disconnection be realized, between yeah, the needs and, and the... what they wanted me to deliver. And then, uh-huh. uh, um, so I realized I would study just to be able to help from the outside because then I would have more uh, more authenticity or more I could use my creativity and I could use um, my own truth, if that make any sense, to help mm-hmm. people from the outside. And then um, I just became a consultant. Uh, I developed a lot of courses because I, I am a change management accredited, so I became a facilitator for change management. And once I started working with change management from the outside, I developed my own coaching, my own individual coaching uh, methodology, and I started doing that as well. And I just realized there's more into it. There is more into the methods and the communications and the empathy. There's something that, uh, even if I train people a lot, there's something that they couldn't reach at at a certain point because Mm -hmm. they were already ill. Mm -hmm. And I started to tell companies that because I knew they were ill because I had individual conversations and uh, individual coaching with them. Mm -hmm. And... uh, and I started telling my clients, well, uh, you have a sick company. People are mm-hmm. ill. Things are not right. So there's something about their mental health that is not right. So just training them is not going to be, it's not going to be enough. And then I started to just dig in on that. And uh, I found neuroscience could just uh, maybe help me to understand why these people were so ill and what would I have to do to help them to change their brains, if there was even a way to do that. So then this is why. So I actually started studying before the master's. I was already using things that I was studying about and learning from. And then I just wanted to be graduate on, on that. So to, that's yeah, why. to specialize. Is it yeah. like something when you start looking at that can of worms and you start like, like you were trying to find out where, why were people ill and yeah. you start dig in, dig in, dig in, and you start learning that this is actually bigger than all of us. It's like a societal disease and mental health. And is that that, I don't know, is when we start talking about environment, like bring it to my area and we start looking and digging what's destroying the planet. And the same, what is destroying people's uh, mental health? And is that something that it becomes so overwhelming to you and you're like, I don't know even where to start? Is that hope? Because... Honestly, everybody suffers. Everybody's hurting, yeah. And, yeah. and and they they do it in different ways. And veterinarians are notoriously known by having high rates of suicide. I, I brought some numbers to us, and I was looking at this. It's it's, it's uh, the more I looked yesterday on scientific data and numbers, the more I was like, we what know about all of these. What, what did you find? Tell us. Um, I found, for example, there are different numbers. It depends on how they structure the, the study, right, and the population they are yeah. looking. So you can manipulate numbers and make it different ways. But, yeah. but basically, I looked in the U.S. There were some studies in the U.K., studies in the U.K. and Canada. And the numbers are not better. But um, we found, for example, that um, suicidal rates in the United States, um, and again, it depends on the year they looked at or yeah. the population, but it's three times higher than the national average. Um, I also found um, 
some there's a study that was a very long study from 1979 to 2015. It's a JAVMA study. Um, mm. It's the Journal of American Veterinary uh, Medical Association, and they saw almost 400 deaths of, caused by suicide in that period. Um, one thing that I I found interesting because the rest of the data I found is conflicting is the opposite. 82% of the suicides were males and 18% females and 75% of them were um, younger than 65 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say it's, it's interesting is because all the other data and numbers I found, females are especially young females uh, suffering the majority of the pressure. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I thought I was going to find that females, so female suicide rate, it was higher, but no, it's male. Yeah. Either way, it doesn't matter. This is like, it's a huge number. And yeah. and that's yeah. not even talking about the attempts, the yeah. suicidal yeah. attempts. This is just and people that actually were able. And then before that, which is actually mental illness. And we have depression, anxiety, and burnout as the three top uh the, th- the three top mental diseases that we find in inside organizations today and in professional life. And something very, well, something very scary, I can say this word because it actually was very scary happened to me. When I went to, when I went abroad to do my master's, I just had this expectation that, oh, okay, so I'm going to be inside a university that studies neuroscience and mental health. So um, I kind of expected I was going to be, I was going to find an environment of health, of healthy people mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, healthy treatments and fair. At least aware people, right? People, they are aware of the problem, yeah, you would and think. and that didn't happen at all. So what I found was um, even psychology students uh, live with, it, with anxiety without knowing this is not normal. So then when I figured that that was happening and this was all over the world, I, I just panicked because I said, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Because So see, that's the overwhelming <laughs> feeling I'm telling yeah, you about. It's like, there's no, this is I bigger than all of us. Yes, and yeah. then I kind of, I had like a, a breakdown, like uh, a crisis. Because I, I bet just, you did, yeah. Yeah, I just said, well, what am I doing here? Because this is, it has no end, right? If yep. you, if you're, if you, if, if I was in a place that we are supposed to produce health and we were producing uh, diseases and illness and uh, And perpetuating uh, that behavior, right? It's a learned behavior. It's incredible. And I want to put a pin here because I do want to go back to that because I did something in my career that it's mainly unheard of. I I quit my residency. We will talk about this, but that's what led me to that. And um, anyway, I do want to go back to that because it's interesting. But if there is one thing, Francelia, I would like us to do, like on this podcast, to be helpful to people is we do talk. And and those are words that became used. um, They normalize those words in a sense that I think they don't have the impact they're supposed to have. And I think people sometimes do not understand what it is. And when you say, for example, it's that burnout, anxiety, um, the feeling of worthless, being worthless, the, yeah. um, and I have many more here, depression and suicidal um, thoughts. I don't think people actually recognize that. They know how to recognize that because... No, they as don't. We were, yeah. So yeah. it becomes so normal, right? So yeah. a, a vet's life is under a lot of pressure. You have pressure from your colleagues that yeah. uh, don't have compassion fatigue and you... 
myself and other people, we do that too. Mm, like, yeah. even though we are suffering from that, instead of being instead of being empathetic and compassionate, we perpetuate that same behavior. We do, yeah. We um, do. Like, I'll give you a simple example. Like, after working 10 hours, which is a long day, people. That's not okay. Like, it's a long, long day yeah, doing long what day. we do in emotional pressure and... Yeah. Um, and you're dealing with lives, right? You need to be sharp the whole time. Um, and then after that, you got to leave work and a colleague says, oh, you're leaving early because you didn't work 14 hours. Yeah. And yeah, that's I like, know. and then you feel guilty. It's like, oh my God, yes, I'm leaving early and everybody's going to notice that and I need to stay and I need to do more. And and it's, it, again, so how I think it's important, what my point I'm trying to make is how do we recognize? So let's go to the words like, Anxiety, like I have some here um, of studies again, looking, um, and again, it, 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 this is they always compare with the based on the general population. There is a 2014 study. Nine percent of the veterinarians had serious psychological disorders. Thirty-one wow. percent uh, were depressive. Seventeen um, percent had suicidal thoughts, and we are talking. And this is all. Um, above the average for the United States population. And we are talking about people that actually answer a survey. So this is not even, I would, I'm assuming this is like under-representation because it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of courage to even respond and a a questionnaire survey. So how do we recognize what is compassion fatigue? And do you have examples in our, our life? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I think what we should do is talk about the signs uh, of mental illness because I can't tell people, well, if you have this, this, and this, then this is your diagnosis. But uh, maybe the signs that you must be aware of that something is not right and that you should. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. Let's just a big disclaimer here. People go look a professional. This is not, we are not trying to diagnose anybody. We're not trying to treat anybody. You need to look for professional health. If you identify any of these topics we're going to talk about, look for a psychologist, a therapist, a psychiatrist, like look for a professional. A lot of insurance in the United States, I want to point it out. A lot of health insurers offer free, a limited number of free counseling therapies. So use that with your insurance call your insurance yeah. and cbt um, also cbt is very is um uh, cognitive behavior therapy which is the one that i'm also specialized on so this mm-hmm. is the one that can really help you with strategies to okay get, yeah and just Good. to be better yeah so with all this disclaimer there, people, yeah. this is not a therapy session. We're just trying to bring awareness. We're not diagnosing yeah. you. We're not trying to treat anyone. So um, let's talk about the signs. Okay. So the signs you must be aware of, um, they are emotional signs. They are physical signs. So the emotional signs are the most difficult ones because people don't realize they're getting emotional signs, which... Just to become with, that's weird, that should not happen and that's not normal because we should not not recognize what we're feeling and if it's not something good for us. But emotional signs that you should be aware of that might be a sign of anxiety, depression, fatigue or panic or anything is feeling ir- irritated for a long period of time. So it's normal th- that we feel irritated for some things or some days we're just we ate something that was not good something happened we're just upset so I kind of feel irritated throughout the day 
but it's not normal if I feel like that constantly, weeks, one week, two weeks, and then uh, it's not normal that my mood is always irritated, so that's not part of your personality, that's already a sign that something's not right to you, and then we sh you should just go dig into to this. There is some kinds of depression that this is the symptom, which people don't, are not aware with, because people usually think that being irritated is and depression are opposite things, but some kinds of depressions, uh, one of the signs is uh, ir irritation. It's very hard for me to say this word. Ir irritation? <laughs> Am I saying this right? Irritability. Uh, irritability, yeah. 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 So if you have irritability and um, if you have also tiredness, so if you feel tired all the time, if you feel and tired we do. when you wake and up. And we do. We do feel tired, exhausted yeah. all the time. Yeah. And we blame that on the long hours. Yeah. But I do I do think they contribute. But yeah, that's, it that's might not, not be. Well. It's not normal to be tired yeah. all the time. No, not normal. So being tired, being irritated, being, ang being anxious. And so what is the anxiety that is not normal? The anxiety that is not normal and you should be aware of is when you're constantly worried about things. So all the time you're living in the past or in the present and you have like a to-do list in your mind. And instead of uh, being able to just watch TV with your kids or playing a football or doing something, you are doing those things, worrying about your to-do list or your past to-do things that you haven't done. That's a sign that things are not right. I think this is one of the more the, the common uh, symptom everyone has. No one talks about it because we kind of think this is normal. No, that's yeah, that's I already do that not a normal. Lot. Yeah, that's I do already that not a lot. normal. I can relax. Yeah, that's yeah, that's not normal. And I feel guilty. <laughs> I know I feel guilty. If I'm just doing one thing, for example, if I'm just yeah, watching yeah. TV or well, like, no, I shouldn't be just watching TV. I need to watch TV and do dishes. I need to watch the, yeah, TV and no, fold clothes. Normal. I need to. Yeah. Oh, sh so and that's I have one a of long to-do list yeah. that just grows. Also, uh, anger is one of the symptoms because we do, we, there's a lot of books and theories that say that anger is a primary emotion and which is uh, anger is something that we all feel in order to be adapt, to, to adapt in the world. So anger makes us move. Uh, we kind of tend to see uh, when we should move, when we should defend ourselves, when we feel anger or when we feel angry. But having this as something constant in your life, again, so anything that happens will make you feel angry, that's also not normal. And this, because this is a sign that uh, something is not good inside of you, and maybe you're not, usually there's a lot of studies that connect anger. So this, this constant feeling of being angry with um, the, we call it a belief. So with a central belief that I'm not enough and I should be doing more. And this actually what causes mental illness is because almost every one of us or maybe just a, a I don't know, a large part of us, a large part of the population have this uh, belief that I'm not good enough if I don't have the right car, the right job, the amount of hours of work or the, the good, uh, a nice Instagram or I don't know, this number of kids. So we kind of live in this, uh, we, we already have this belief which is triggered all the time because of how society is installed. And I think that in, um, in the VAT, can I call it VAT field? 
Is, that, is this right? In the vet field, yeah. Okay. So in the vet field, this I, I think this must be even bigger because if you're not a if you haven't been thought about what you feel, if you don't know that that's not normal, you are gonna be keep looking at the numbers and the and the data and yeah. the, uh, I don't know and the diagnosis and things that you should do. So I think you'll be more triggered maybe than uh, people that are not from this field because all the time you're looking at things that you should yeah, be doing. Yeah, it is yeah. interesting that you mentioned that because uh, uh, there is what is so-called the moral distress in the profession. And the moral distress from the research I found, it causes you to avoid your patients, uh, high turnovers, that's what it causes too. And is like all is the moral conflict, the ethical challenges, the ethical dilemmas, the feelings of the feeling of hopeless uh, of being hopeless uh, or worthless. Um, those are all, and also the adverse effects of performing euthanasia, which is an impact that people don't take it for granted. And at the same time, you're worried about a client that didn't pay the bill, the cost yeah. of the practice. You're worried about uh, the diagnosis. And actually, what it, what we do on our daily basis as doctors sometimes is, uh, is a minimal um, part of our day. And then all the stress because now you are overwhelmed, you are multitasking, which is not a good thing. Being a good multitasker is not a good thing, I learned. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're missing diagnosis, you're making medical mistakes because you yeah. are in this, this whole like, uh, like wave. Yeah. And then you become depressed because sometimes we do, we do unfortunately kill a patient accidentally. And I need to be very careful when I say this because... Um, you know, other people that um, are not veterinarians and listening to this, um, I, I wish, and it's hard, right, if I am on the other side of that, but no vet has the intention to kill a patient. No vet has the intention to hurt a patient. Course, this is yeah. completely opposite why we go to, and it was very hurtful. A lot of the things that hurt me is when clients say you're doing this because you want money. Um, wow. you, you, you're offering, okay. yeah, you want to do this diagnosis because you want my money. Cause, and it's just, it's completely the opposite uh, mm -hmm. of that. Um, actually, student death is one of the biggest stressors in the United States for veterinarians. Some kids here, they graduate with 200,000 in student debt. Like 200,000, wow. starting your career only, like... And you need to make up that money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, of course, that, that's the trigger right there. You don't need anything else. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Um, depression, actually, among veterinarians, it's uh, 1.5 times higher than the general population. And, again, I think all of this combined is so alarming. So, But I just don't think we recognize all of those. So you were mutating, feeling angry. Um, irritable, like an anger I'm learning on my own therapy is that anger is just the tip of the iceberg. Anger yeah, is that's usually the consequence. Yes. Yeah. So there are de deeper feelings that yeah. are attached to anger. Yeah. Um, and then when you start digging and digging, it usually is because you hurt somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. So anger, um, being tired, feeling tired, even feeling hungry. Feeling hungry all the time, that's one of the signs that something is not right in your organism and that you need to, and, and sometimes it's because you're overwhelming with so much preoccupation that you feel that you need more food in order to feel good about it. Um, not being able to keep with your agenda, 
that's like a physical symptom. <laughs> oh, really? So, yeah. So you know that feeling that okay, I'm not, I'm, I never, I can never keep on with my agenda. Yeah. That's not normal because if you can't keep on with your agenda, that's because you're not doing your agenda in a healthy way, which means you are not emotionally stable when you think about things you could do versus things you should, you can do. <laughs> oh my God, so, I'm so yeah. sick. I'm finding out that I'm so <laughs> sick. <laughs> oh no, oh no, okay. Yeah, because the problem is never the agenda, is who runs the agenda, right? So that's one of the symptoms. And everyone is uh, late with the agenda, right? That's not normal as well. That's a symptom that could be covering for anxiety or for burnout. Uh, burnout is um, the difference between the anxiety, the symptoms, I'm not saying the diagnosis, but the symptoms mm -hmm. is anxiety is something that you kind of live in with every day. So you're preoccupied every day, every hour, and sometimes you're very tired and sometimes you're very excited because that's how an anxious mind works and operates uh, because it's, it's not regulated. And then the burnout, uh, you want to do things, but it's kind of like your mind doesn't let you to do those things. It's kind of like you have the strength that is bigger than you that doesn't let you do the things that you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So that's the feeling when you're burning out your brain because you're literally burning, burning it out. You've used this too much. Now your cortisol levels are too low and you can't produce things anymore as you could like one month ago because your cortisol levels were very high. So I think this is one of the symptoms that people usually uh, think they are being depressed or that's because they worked too much. It's true. This, this is because you've done too much. Uh, work or thought too much or try to do a lot of things that your body couldn't keep up with you. Uh, but this, this feeling that I wanted to do more and I can't because my body or my mind won't let me, that's also not normal. That's and then not just that being leads tired. you to not even have a good night of rest because your mind, your brain doesn't stop working. Yeah, and then yeah, we are now using medication to go to sleep. Yeah, and yeah. another huge problem among vets is that we have access to they medication. Use yeah, which is, so. which is very similar to uh, doctors. Yeah. Because that's kind of the same. If you look at the mental illness in doctors, it's absurd because, yeah. because of the same thing. Yeah, they deal the abuse with lives, of opioids they have medication. and all. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge. So, yes. And this is one of the things because uh, what happens is uh, if you take a medication, it will help you because this is what is pro it, the medication is for. It will change your brain. It will make you produce uh, substances that will make you feel better and maybe organize your thoughts. But uh, this is also not treating the problem because if you keep on doing the same things, it's, it's like when you treat an animal, you mm -hmm. can give the animal something for his, uh, I don't know, stomach ache. Mm -hmm. But if the, his owner keeps giving him the wrong food, mm -hmm. he, won't, he won't get better. So that's the same with us. So yes, the medication will help you, but sometimes it will make you worse because you need to treat the cause. Give us like practical examples, like you're giving, like feeling irritable, but like burnout, yeah. like I, 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 like how can I recognize that on my day? How can I recognize anxiety? Like give me palpable. Okay. So let's start with anxiety because okay. that's uh, something here in Brazil, at least it's uh, one in each five people have anxiety nowadays, <laughs> which is huge number, right? It is. I uh, bet I'm one of them. 
Yeah, it's it's so okay. So what is anxiety that you should be aware of and just look for help? So one of the symptoms is, and this is the major one, you are preoccupied, I don't know, 90% of your time, sometimes 24 hours a day. So that's one of the symptoms that's not normal. Then symptom number two, you feel like you can't keep up with your agenda. That's also... Mm -hmm. Symptom number three, you feel like you procrastinate a lot of things. So procrastination, mm. it's not always, but if this is something that is every day in your routine. It's like not because I'm feel, lazy? Yeah, no, sometimes no, that's because you're anxious and the perfectionist. So you, you kind of get lost in your own thoughts and how you should be doing things. So you don't start doing things because you're not perfect enough for you to start to do that hmm. so this is one of the signs with now that's two things that's anxiety and perfectionism because mm -hmm. they are related uh, in a lot of times they are related as a diagnosis so this is also one of the symptoms the other one is all about your mood so if you have if you're always worried if you're always feeling heavy and by feeling heavy I say a heavy head I don't know if that makes sense but if you're feeling like you have too much to think of um, and then you were angry about things or irritated about things or tired because you're thinking too much. That's anxiety. That could be, for example, on a vet day, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that could be like, oh, I can't believe this owner said that and it sets us off. And Yeah, we, so and that's like... what we call rumination, yes. So this is oh. one of the symptoms of anxiety, which is something happens, something normal happens, like um, I got a lot of traffic to go to my job. Mm -hmm. And that triggers me into only thinking about what is going to happen, some, something's going to happen, my boss is going to fire me or, I don't know, uh, oh, I'm going to yeah, lose I the reunion, those... people are going to think I'm lazy. So that's yeah. anxiety talking yeah. to you anymore. That's what we tell patients. Oh, so, okay, wow. that's anxiety. That's not you anymore. So your brain is not operating in a normal way. What is normal, though? Things happen. You feel them. You recognize that makes you feel something like angry, sad, disappointed. And in like 15 to 20 minutes, this will pass. That's the normal way oh of feeling Oh my God, I'm so things. sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Wait, that's, that's, I have uh, like, yeah. I have the situation all happening in my head. The whole thing, it sometimes fights and yeah. the whole thing happens. And at least now I'm a little bit aware of it. And then I try to pause. That's what my mantra now, try to pause and breathe. And yeah, that's a good thing to do. Pause and then and nothing happens. I'm like, even email sometimes, you know, I really only check my mail once a day. And, yeah, that's a good uh, strategy. And then actually when I go, because I'm like, oh, I can't do that because an emergency is going to happen. I need to check all the time. I was like, if an emergency happened, the people that are going to be dealing with that, they have my phone number. You know, they can yeah. call me. And then I realized that sometimes all these email chains, like... If you see it right away, you want to answer it right away. You don't pause. Yeah. Nothing's gonna, nothing good's going to come out of that. And what yeah. I realized by checking my email just once a day, the problem solves itself because other people yeah. answer first and the whole thing happened. And when I read it, it's done. Yeah. So actually, I'm being able to read my emails for only 30 minutes per day. Yeah, that's already a good strategy. This is an anxiety strategy that we use. So people who have symptoms... What we tell them is just check your emails just once a day. So you kind of organize when you're going to be preoccupied. That's something that we do on the treatment. So on your agenda, every time you start feeling worried about something, you're just going to note, it, write it down somewhere and say, okay, I'm going to worry at this and that time. So this, this is actually oh, what wow. you're telling your 
uh, anxious brain is that, yeah, you're going to talk about this, so don't worry, you have time to <laughs> ruminate about this. He's kind of telling your brain, don't worry, we won't forget to worry about this. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. That's yeah, a good strategy, yeah. 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 And, uh, it doesn't other... work to everyone, but it works to a lot of people. That's so interesting. Yes, it does help to know that you're not going to forget to worry. I know it sounds like yeah. a crazy concept, but... Yeah. And then <laughs> it when is, it, because and when that's the, the point, you just uh. say, yeah, I'm not, I'm going to... That's exactly the point. So after doing that, a week, you kind of realize, oh, okay, that was not normal. Why was that? Why was I spending so much time worrying about something that is not under my control or that is not going to kill me or affect my life? So then you kind of realize that you were just growing things into a level that they didn't have to go there. So this is how an anxious mind works. Mm-hmm. It will grow uh, the intensity of things, the intensity of the consequences in a normal situation. And yes, so, I'm coming to yeah. realize that too. And uh, uh, one thing that helped me a lot, which was not the intention why I read the book, but all these strategies, and now I'm understanding that they are uh, even a technique for anxiety to help with anxiety. But I read the book, The 4-Hour Work Week. Week, yeah, which I, I highly recommend. This is from that book, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so the other thing is they talk about, which helped with my anxiety, it was um, delegation, elimination. So I delegate, I learned, it's very hard to learn to delegate because yeah. especially if you are anxious and perfectionist, which I learned being perfectionist is yeah. a bad or thing, not a good thing. if you don't feel enough, then you don't then delegate. you don't delegate and there are, Asking for help is never bad, and they are the people that are better doing that. So delegating what what it doesn't need to be me, I delegate. I delegate. And that doesn't mean being lazy, right? Because I thought, what what do I mean? I'm going to give people my work to do. No, because not everything is me. I don't need to do everything. So delegating, eliminating things that nobody should be doing. You know, for, yeah. for I will give you an example. I no longer have a voicemail at work. So clients cannot leave a voicemail because that we had to check that multiple times a day and it brought anxiety and we can't answer the, the, sometimes the client will leave a message there. There was kind of an emergency, even though the message said, don't, if it is an emergency, call the hospital, they will leave the message there. And when we got to at the end of the day, it would be just like stress. You know, we were creating problems and setting ourselves for failure. So we eliminated that. So now clients can contact us via the message system we have in our computers or they can call the hospital or can email us. And the email, Mm. it's another thing too. I learned with that book to set expectations, my email response automatically comes back saying, hey, thank you for this email. We only checked the email this and this time of the day to help with efficiency and to help care for our patients because we actually need to be present caring for patients. And so all of that and like, and the other thing is like creating systems, which is what you're saying. When you feel anxious, you write it down. When you do this, this is the time I'm gonna worry about this. Mm -hmm. It really helps. It really helps. Yeah, it really helps. And, and uh, also, you were just talking, I think that one of the symptoms is very good to point is that if you feel that in your work, in your job, you're doing things, uh, if you feel like you're doing things, your activities with the goal to do it right, instead of treating, in your case, treating your patients, <laughs> which uh-huh. are the animals or I, I don't uh-huh. know, because sometimes I think research or other fields, mm-hmm. uh, will, you have different activities. But if you're working, thinking that you can't do it wrong, instead of I'm helping this 
client or I'm learning this new way of doing or my goal is to find out what is going on, then you are, you are already not healthy mentally. Wait, this is a aha moment for me. Say that, okay, so yes, I work not to do it wrong. Yeah, everyone you just, does. You just, okay, yeah. can you, can no. you? That's tell- not a disease, but that's, uh, that's not healthy as well. So <laughs> it's just, that's where the diseases start is, I, I think. They start on, right there. Because uh, what happens is we have been taught to do it right, right? Yeah. And when you go and when, as, uh, when you go uh, on the, in your career and you, as when you study more where, or when you get uh, promoted, so you become a leader or I don't know, you, you do your master's and then you do your PhD, everything that people want from you is that you do it right. Yes. Because this is how universities work. Not all of them, but most of them. This is how they work. This is how companies work. They want you to do it right, right? Mm-hmm. So all of a the sudden, we become uh, victims. I don't know if victim is the right word. So we, you become more worried about doing it right than doing what you signed up for. So at the university, the main goal of the students, instead of learning, is nailing at the tests and the exams. Yes, and not making mistakes, which is and the not opposite of mistakes, learning, right? Which is I, the opposite, which you can learn from because yes. you can't learn from anything if you're not open to the learning process. So if you're worried only about what the, how teacher are gonna, how they're going to correct your assignment, because then you're writing yeah. something for someone else. It's not for the sake of your growth and your learning. So this is university. And at your job is the same thing, but with a task. So we are caught off in situations that I'm worried about uh, getting this done fast, charging the right amount of money and uh, being uh, performing well for the company that I work for, right? Yes. So they yeah. will evaluate me as a good professional. Yeah. And then I forget that actually I've graduated because I wanted to take care of those people. So my main goal should be I'm here and my main focus is just to take care of this client. It doesn't matter how much it's going to cost me if I'm going to make mistakes if I'm going to mislead something, my focus is on the client or on the task itself, not on getting it right. So basically you're saying sense? that we need to remember to enjoy the process, the process yeah. of taking care and not fixate yeah. on the results because yeah. we have no control. Even if I do the best surgery in the world, there are complications that can happen. So the result, mm. I know it sounds crazy, at least in my mind, because a good doctor should cure everybody. But no, a good doctor should be empathetic and compassionate and doing the task which is to take care, yeah. which not yeah. necessarily is going to end up with the patient being healthy. It might even end up with a difficult decision, but you walk through yeah. that. Yeah, let me give you an example. Maybe yeah. this will help you. So let's say that you're there seeing your uh, client, uh, whether it's an animal or the owner of the animal or, I don't know, any kind of client. And then you kind of, good professionals have a checklist. Let's let's suppose that exists, okay? So, okay, in, in order to do a good the briefing with my client, I should ask him all of these questions that I, that I learned in this course when in the university or somewhere yeah. I learned this. Yeah. And then you focus on those questions because 
you want to be good and not make a mistake. That's your focus, right? Yes. But then you forget to look at other symptoms that were not there on your checklist because yes. you're so focused on, on getting it right. You forgot to look at the people you're helping or the animals you're helping or <laughs> anyone that you're helping. And then you miss, sometimes you miss things because that's, that's not where your focus is. Your focus is in the wrong place. And then, okay, but and let, then me, you... let me be the devil's advocate here because this is what goes through our mind, right? And it, literally, I find myself sometimes working to cover my butt. And I'm sorry to use that expression, yeah. but that's what we do. Like our rectors yeah. need to be flawless. And because if someone sues you, especially so in the States, so it needs to be happen. there. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. like what is going through my mind is, okay, if I, if I make a mistake, this client's going to sue me and... And, you know, how, because if you deviate from, I can, I can see how you deviate from the SOP, from that mm -hmm. SOAP or whatever we're trained to do, and we make a mistake, uh, yeah. it's not a, a world of rainbows and unicorns, you know, there yeah. are, we, the society, it trains you to be afraid of making mistakes because there are real consequences. So how do we get out of that? Like yeah. cycle because again. But the thing is, as more as you do this, more you're producing anxiety in your brain, more you're producing the need to perform instead of the need to help or to do your job. And then uh, in a long period or sometimes in a mid median period of time, you are not going to be healthy enough to do your job. So that's also dangerous, right? So yes. you are going to make a mistake anyway. Maybe you're gonna, not even going to be aware of what you're doing. And um, I, I think this is something that we don't talk about much because I know, I know because all my clients are like that. They don't want mistakes. They hire us because they want people to produce more. But the thing is, as we are today, we can't produce more because we're focusing on what we should be the result we should be getting instead of what we should be doing. And then my attention is at the end of the process. And if my attention is at the end of the process, where am I doing the process? Yeah. You see what I mean? I mean, yes. And actually, you're right, because in following all of those, we are, we are making mistakes already. So yeah, the mistakes are, are going to happen no matter what. It's a matter of where are you in this process? Are you focusing on the process or you're focusing on the results and the, the SOPs you need to follow and becoming unhealthy. It's so interesting. I have a, it's not my quote. I don't remember where I read it, but I say that to the, my kids all the time. Um, I have two kids and I really try to not have them fear mistakes. Although it's very hard as a parent, I ended up doing the opposite a lot of times. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to not do it, but it's almost, it's very difficult. Um, but I tell them that practice is controlled failure. I read yeah. that somewhere and I don't know where, but, but <laughs> well, sometimes like, it is, sometimes yeah, it is practice, not, yeah. especially in veterinary medicine, like practice is controlled failure because there's no way it. to learn to become a good surgeon. It means that you made a lot of mistakes. There's no yeah. other way around, yeah. um, because it's something you need to do with your hands a lot of times, right? Mm -hmm. Or being attentive to if you don't do surgery, if you just, uh, not just, sorry, I shouldn't say that because nobody's just, if you are, uh, uh, internist or if you are a general practitioner your skill is paying attention is being aware of all the details is it's yeah. all of that and so wow that is it is mind-blowing because it's very hard to get out of that so what would you say if we get ourselves 
how do we recognize that? How can we get ourselves out of that cycle? Well, it, you have to create a, awareness. I don't see how you're going to get out of this without creating awareness of what you're thinking. And um, I think feeling is too much to ask right now. But at least what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you, every time you, so what, what I do is just choose some of the activities that you do on a daily basis, like mm -hmm. two activities. Start with two. What, mm -hmm. are the, what are the most important activities that you do during the day? So choose two of them. And during those two of them, just be conscious of what is your goal in there. Are you thinking about the results or are you thinking about what you're doing right now? Okay. And I then think that's a good start, place to start. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Well, what happens is that people get frustrated and scared because they just realize they're not living in the moment. They're living mm -hmm. in the future and in the... Yeah. They are living, trying not to be punished all the time by someone, yeah, <laughs> or by yeah. the society, or by our bosses, or by someone. Your parents, and that's my case. and your parents. Yeah, that's a good thing uh, because when you realize that you are almost all of your time during the day trying to become to avoid being punished, then you can start changing that. Because if you realize you are like that, you by sure already have difficulties and um, mental issues that you could feel better, but you don't even know that you could feel better because maybe you, you, you just remember being like that. So you just remember being agitated all the time. You just remember being worried and controlled. So I'm a controlling person. There's no such a thing as a controlling person. There's, there is uh, people with difficulties to let go and <laughs> that's mm -hmm. not good. So if you feel like you're controlling too much, you're agitated all the time, you're worried all the time, and you are always not trying to make a mistake so people won't tell things about you or, or do something to you, that's not good for you or anyone around you. You wow. have to change. That's a pattern. We have created this pattern. You have to change that pattern if you want to be healthy, uh, if you want to be emotionally uh, mm -hmm. healthy, if you want to be happy, because the, all the happy, the science of happiness also studies emotions and all those kinds of feelings. And if you want to create a generation that will be healthy as well. Got it. Which is not the scene we have today. So we don't have the scene today. We have um, people with anxiety. We have people with ob obesity. So we have workaholic people. That's, that's not healthy. That's the scenario we have today, right? Mm -hmm. That's a consequence of these kind of feelings and thoughts that I have to produce every time. Otherwise, something is going to happen to me. So tell me here, what would be considered, I don't know if there is any research looking to that, but you are the right person to ask if there is. What is considered a good, healthy number of hours you should work per day? And I'm saying even, I'm not just saying work at your workplace because a lot of people do work at home. Mm -hmm. And so what would be considered like how many hours a day? I know if okay. it varies, but yeah. like just a yeah, general Yeah, I don't think I don't think I could say that there's an amount uh the right amount of hours to work. What I can say is that I've just read in a study yesterday saying that people that work 6 hours a day, they have more quality of life and um mental quality as well. Uh but what what I can say is um it's not normal to work more it's not normal if you have we have 24 hours a day mm -hmm. and then you have to sleep like eight hours a day some mm -hmm. people just can sleep seven and then we know that that's the amount of sleep that we need 
-hmm. in order for our hormones and everything just to balance mm -hmm. our body again mm -hmm. and we can be okay. So then it leaves us with uh, how many hours? 16 hours, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I have, is this, this, this the amount? Yeah. So if I have 16 hours a day and, yeah, and I'm working 12 of those 16, that's not normal. Yeah, that's true because then you have only four hours. Yeah. And, and if, if that, right, and that's right. Yeah. You, yes, wow. And that's not going to bring you any effects. This, this is something very funny because I was never this person that worked a lot of hours a day. And even when I worked inside the companies, all my colleagues, so I would just, at 5.30, I would just say, hey, bye, I'm just going home. And then everyone would stay there. Mm -hmm. And I had a boss that would tell me, uh, people are staying. And I said, well, I'm not paid to stay. I'm paid to produce. So I've done mm -hmm. my share. Now I'm going to leave because I have a life outside of here. And then I have all my colleagues asking me, how can you perform? Because I was, I was always a great performer. Mm -hmm. Always. I never had issues with performing. It was actually the opposite. And then my friends would ask me, how do you, how do you get just to leave? And then you perform so much. And then I said, that's because I leave early, not because I stay. Because I, <laughs> I can't just be thinking about things I should be doing at work all my life. And then I don't have uh, any space in my life just to connect my energy back, just to get my energy back, just to live my life because we don't only work. We should not be only working. That's something wrong. And that's not even a lifestyle. We don't have only work in our lives. We have uh, everything. We have families. We have friends. We have ourselves. We have exercises that we should be doing. So that's why, that's why you can, I know by a fact, because I've been like that, and I know because we have a lot of researches that if you just overlap your brain with a lot of information and a lot of stress and a lot of cortisol, this is not going to help you out if you do more, right? Franceli, this conversation is mind-blowing, and I, in a good way. <laughs> it shouldn't you know what be, I mean? right? And yeah. I hope it's mind-blowing to everybody that is listening to this. It's just it's like, okay, I need, we need to have this chat every week. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. It's just, we do. We could have this chat every week with like, okay, things you should be pay attention this week. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe we should do. We will talk off the off here the podcast, but even little tips. Maybe you you can provide little tips every week on the Vethead uh, Instagram yeah. because this is mind blowing. What you just said right now, I'm not paid to stay. I'm paid to perform. Yeah, it's huge. Which is true. Yeah, it's huge, yeah. and so. Um, yeah, that's so helpful because I actually did had uh, I did have a situation like that at work too, and and I did put my foot down. And that was the other thing that I learned to say more no's. I've seen I'm I'm saying no now yeah. with more frequency and naturally naturally that I did before. I was so afraid to say no before, and now I do. And guess what? Nothing happens. And nothing happens. Exactly. Nothing that's freaking happens. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. A lot of nothing it happens. is self-imposed. It's self-imposed. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully by seeing you or me, um, in my case, I arrive later. I don't leave earlier because as a veterinarian, I can't just stop a procedure in the middle and leave. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So the way yeah. I can control my time and my quality of time with my family is by arriving later. Yeah. And um, that change was a game changer to me, but I had to do something very similar to you. I had to say, 
nope, you're not paying me to do this. You're paying me to see clients. My clients are being seen. Nobody's suffering. I'm still performing, but I'm not. Don't make me choose. Basically, I had to say, don't make me choose between my life and her work because it's a very easy choice. And I think, I think that, well, for, for those who live in uh, the United States, I think that's even worse because um, I think there's this cultural fact that we know United States is the country that performs that's, yeah. that's, that's the whole idea, yeah. Yeah, right? The, the raw capitalism, yeah. Yeah, so um, so I think it's even worse because there's something that society will ask you somehow. So you see people on Instagram and uh, what yeah. is success? I've, I've been fighting about this on my Instagram, about the idea of success we've been selling and spreading around because I think this is a dangerous for, danger for everyone. And then there's, there are people from HR field spreading the idea that being successful requires a lot of hard work, a lot of discipline, a lot of hours, a lot of not seeing your family. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where people got this idea from because this is not from mental health things because, uh, of course, that's not what being successful is. That's producing money. And we don't Mm -hmm. know how you're going to spend that money because if you're working that much and you don't see your family, you're going to end up losing your family or not raising your kids or you're going to have troubles when they get older and uh, you don't get to even use this money that you're working so hard to produce because this this just is social construction, I think. Yeah, I think that's huge. And yes, definitely this conversation has been like so important and i wanted to uh, one last thing that i wanted to ask you is about toxic relationships and toxic okay. work environments i just want to wrap it up with that because um you talk about that on your instagram and well yeah. by the way where can people find you well they will read everything in portuguese so they will have to just turn the translation uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's on. a translation button they can try to keep up i also have uh, videos so I have, uh, it's my name, Franciele Maftun. So F as in France, R as in Romeo, A as in Apple, N as in Nancy, C as in Cat, I yeah. as in Eager, E as in Easter, L as in Linda, E as in Easter, and then Maftun, right? So it's M as in Mary, A as in Apple, F as in France, T as in Tabata, uh, U as in <laughs> Uruguay, and M as in Mary. Yeah, so, they so can find my you Instagram, on YouTube. YouTube, yes, they are all the same. So they okay. can, um, yeah, I think YouTube sometimes is easier because they can link the, they can just turn on the caps yeah. in English. So yeah. it's, sometimes it's confusing, but. So yeah, let's talk about the toxic relationship, right? Yeah, because you talk, and and, and I find very interesting how you bring that up on your Instagram, yeah. uh, in your stories, that it's not just relationships as romantic relationships, you talk about work relationships and how to yeah. recognize. And that, I think it resonates with me, because as I was saying, I residency in veterinary medicine, especially in my specialty in zoo medicine is incredibly hard. There are only 200 specialists in the world. I'm the only mm-hmm. South American. And in order to get that, you, for majority of people, you need to go through a residency, which is very competitive and is very hard. And it's a golden opportunity. And if, if you grab it, then letting it go, it's like the craziest thing someone could ever do. But yeah. because that there is some there are only a few positions out there people they're supposed to be our mentors can get out can get away with so much because people are fighting to get on these positions and they don't even think about the quality of the institution or the work or the people you're going to be working with and they literally torment us it's a mental torment it's a mental abuse 
and I was on the three medications to be able to work. I was wow. under a benzodiazepinic, I was under an alpha-2, and mm-hmm. I was using uh, fluoxetine as well to be able to go to work. Mm-hmm. And I was doing therapy every week and seeing a psychiatrist that was not self-medicated. I was going to the doctor and my psychiatrist would like, your man, I thought my, I thought at one point my psychiatrist was going to go to my work and like punch my quote unquote mentor. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of sexism with that. As women, yeah. we suffer a lot. And, um, and to recognize that was so hard for me because I thought it was me. I'm known by being quote unquote difficult, which I have learned that I'm actually a, a leader and, and I'm a woman and people don't like those two combinations in someone. Yeah. And, um, you know, being bossy, it's, I'm not bossy, I'm just a, a leader. And um, anyway, we always blame ourselves. And, and I, I, I am the last person on earth I, I, I think could suffer from an abusive relationship because I'm so outspoken, I'm so strong, I'm so yeah. strong-minded. But I yet, I was under that for two years and I have to recognize, wait a second. I'm drugging myself to come to work. This is not normal. And yeah. to stop that cycle, and I made the hard decision to quit and leave, I was ready to go work at Starbucks. I said, you know, I would never find a job again because my quote-unquote mentor, I don't even like to call him a mentor because that's not what a mentor is supposed to do, but he's very known, well-known, and I thought he's going to trash me, and there's no way I'm going to find a job. I'm nobody in the United States. Nobody knows me. I was ready to go work at Starbucks, but still I made the decision because I said, I need to do this. I need to bring awareness because that's the only way I could bring awareness so all the people didn't have to go through what I went through. Sadly yeah. enough, um, the same cycle repeated itself, and I'm, I'm, I'm not the only one that left. But again, how do you recognize? Because I don't want people to get to the point I did. Like I was literally drugging myself to be able to cope. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people are there already. So, um, <laughs> and if you are there, just jump out because that's not normal. Yeah. Uh, so remember, I just uh, told you that we have this uh, belief that we're not enough. Mm-hmm. So... Usually toxic relationships, even at work, they are triggered because we dip down. We are, are meant to believe that we are not enough. If we don't have this award or discipline or if we don't hang, if we can handle the pressure. Yeah. We are being You're taught weak. that we should be handled the pressure, yeah. otherwise we're weak. So yeah. it comes from those ideas yeah. that um, usually... This is not, of course, this is not a rule, but usually people that abuse people at work, they have no idea what they're doing is abuse. I believe that. Toxic. I believe that. They actually have been abused so many times that they think this is the normal way of treating people when you get into a certain point of your career. I believe that. So this is where everything starts. Um, And then how do you know this is a toxic relationship at work? So there is some, so if you have, Burnout signs usually, usually, it's not always, it comes along with a relationship or even a culture because a lot of cultures are toxic. Toxic, toxic. Yeah. yeah. that's a very hard word for me to say in English. Okay, so, so maybe there's, there's something about the culture of the organization. So the signs are you feel that people are always requiring you to do things that you don't comply with. Mm-hmm. Um, you always feel under something and that's not because you feel people actually tell you this 
Yeah. Or they tell you, if you don't do this, I yeah. will. No, people will. So there is always a someone saying or the culture of the organization telling you that you should be more rigid or, I don't know, disciplined. You should say yes. You should be here. So this, this, are, this usually comes with toxic relationships at work. When you have these rules and these sentences that you keep saying and um, that you have to comply with, but they are not in compliance with you and with mm -hmm. your health and with your family. Mm -hmm. So I think these are, these are already good signs. The other ones are aggression, uh, yelling. That's, that's also very toxic. Um, people not, not understanding that you have a family, that you have time, that you need to be okay, that you, if you yeah. are sick, you cannot come to work. Yeah. Um, that's toxic as well. And also uh, not being able to speak up being who you are and then and then I'm gonna have to say this this includes everything this includes uh, homosexuals because they kind of suffered about mm -hmm. that this includes people that are creative and cannot be creative because someone tells them that's not right that's also toxic because this everything that tells you tells you that you should not be who you are in order to be accepted to work mm -hmm. that's gonna be toxic for you It might not be toxic for some people because they are like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's yeah. fine. They can just say that's going to be toxic for you. Yeah, so, it's interesting yeah. because, uh, yes, it took me a while to recognize that. And um, like other things that I think in our profession, like when you are making, you are having to work six, seven days a week um, as a resident or an intern because that's just the job. That's just what an intern does. And you having to be at work at six o'clock in the morning and leaving at 11 p.m. Like just, just like, no, they, they make fun of it as if it was funny. Well, that's what I did in my internship. That's what an internship life is. And if you yeah, can handle, then just People you shouldn't that. be doing here. Yeah. And yeah, then I making know. you be on call. <laughs> that was one of my biggest fights at work during my residency. They brought in this intern um, and they wanted her to be on call. 24-7, like mm. seven days a week. I was like, that An is intern. inhumane. That is inhumane. But you yeah. know what? I was the only one fighting it. And my resume at the time agreed with me, but didn't have the courage to speak up. And I yeah. at this, I, I was very frustrated at him but about that. But at the same time, the is the system that doesn't allow you because he had to finish his residency. He didn't want to be in trouble. And again, it's what you said. People saying, if you do this, this is going to happen. And yeah. I, you know, I ended up being, and, and that's something I really teach my kids is uh, how you were put in a situation where when you speak up, you were the difficult one. You are the one that creates problems. Mm -hmm. And that's how you see. And that's what I think there's no compassion because mm -hmm. this just, you know, this just happened the other day. We were playing a game and I was trying to be empathetic to my uh, son. And he was like, oh, mom, you're being difficult. I was like, I'm actually, don't say that, Bo. Because that's what happens, you know, when someone tries to speak up. If you say that to them, you're just blocking that person. That It took so much courage for that person to speak up. And then mm -hmm. I bring that to, like, feminism, like, sexism. You know, when we as women, we say something about sexism, which I am so... That's my going life right now, is to empower women and, and combat mm -hmm. that and have equality, true equality. But every time I bring it up and I identify sexism... I'm the difficult person. So I'm, yeah. I'm, that's at home, 
Okay, that's at work. That's with mm-hmm. my friendships. And it's, again, we need to recognize the people that are speaking up. They should be praised, not the opposite. They should be valued for what they're doing, not putting mm-hmm. down. Because if someone takes so much to speak up and then you put them down, they're not going to speak up again. Because the yeah. person that has to speak up is the short end of the stick, right? It's the weakest point. Otherwise, if you ha- if you were in power, you didn't have to speak up. You're already there. You hold the power. Yeah, so. I, I'm. I'm. I think I'm gonna be against something there because I think this idea that if we have to speak up, we're at the weak point. I think this is a belief uh, we've been raised on, and that's not true. And maybe this is one of the things that people have so much difficulty on getting off or away from toxic relationship or cultures because. Um, if I think that I'm weak, um, people are not going to believe in me and then I have to fight for this. I will fight for this instead of um, live for this, which are different things, right? Well, I'm sorry. When I meant weak, not that I consider myself weak, but if a person no, is know, being discriminated, isn't the weak, like, it's different. Yeah. I'm saying they're usually in a weak position. They're not weak. They're actually very strong. That's the opposite mm-hmm. of what I'm trying to say. Like, they're very strong because they are going against the machine. But yeah. they're in a weak, like, they they are the employee, not the employer. Or okay. they are the intern, not the mentor. Yeah, or, you so know what I mean? Or they accept this, what they say. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm meaning. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like they're they're, they're opposite. not they're going strong. to accept yeah. what they say. So what yeah. I always uh, tell people is that there's um, a lots and lots of way of saying things. One of these days I recorded a video about anger, uh, mm. saying that one of the things about anger is that this is the first resource we find in ourselves to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when I it, when I am in a toxic relationship or even at feminism where I have to fight for my rights, uh, so the first impulse I'm going to have is anger because that's what's going to make me move, right? Uh, and that's I'm fine. I'm totally guilty of is, that. This totally is the resource we have. Yeah, because yeah. that's human. That's what, what we have inside. Yeah. But if I understand that I don't have to fight for it because this is a right I already have to be respected and heard. And I do have sometimes, not always, sometimes the decision just to walk away. Then I can just say it, point it, without being angry about it. And then I have a chance that people might hurt me better. Because the problem with anger is that it's natural, it makes us move. But when we do it, we're emotional. We don't, we just, we're not there to talk and to listen anymore. We kind of lose it. Mm-hmm. Because we are, even if it's a defended, it's, if, 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 even if we're defending ourselves. And then people tend to react back with anger as well or irony or I don't know. So then, yeah. then the whole toxic relationship based on emotion starts when we should actually be dealing with what is causing this. So my advice is that if you see someone doing that, as you say, being angry about something that he thinks is right... What we could do is just ask this person, why are you angry? Why, why, where is it coming from? What are you defending from? And then we kind of try to take the perspective of the other person because sometimes you might not be seeing it from uh-huh. our side of the story. Uh-huh. And uh, maybe I've been raised like that. So I've been punishing you and I don't know I've been punishing uh-huh. you. And then you kind of react back. Uh, so this is something we could actually, we could train because people can be trained on every time I see someone angry, I ask questions without replying. Just, I ask, why are you angry? Have I done something? What is that that I say that makes you so, uh, in a situation that you feel that you have to defend yourself? 
right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's empathy being applied right yeah. there. Yeah, it's very difficult. It's very it's, hard. Yeah. It's rich, but yeah. Uh, and then on the other hand, what we could do is when we feel like we need to defend ourselves, we should just do the same and say, okay, I don't need to defend myself because I am capable of this respect, which I have to give to myself. So what I'm going to do is just say, no, I'm not doing it. That That's beyond my limits. I don't agree with this. And then that's what you could do to protect yourself as well. And I think that is generally a good advice I am guilty of that. That's actually something I work with my therapist because she does say, you know, when you're angry, you're hurting yourself too because anger is yeah. not a good feeling to more have. Than any, more than anyone else, you're yeah. just hurting yourself more. But yeah. what the caveat to that, which I slightly disagree, is in some circumstances, because I am in a position of privilege, so I have the choice to just say no. So I can do what you do, you're saying Some people can perfectly. Yeah. And, and I do need to work on that because, yes, I get very angry and emotional and it is also like a, a latina kind of mm-hmm. uh, culture like we are loud we talk with our bodies we are passionate and so that also spills when we are angry uh, yes i do agree with that but i think there are some things in some positions what like sexual harassment yeah or, then they can't you yeah. know what i mean i don't think the choice of walking away is there for everybody. It's possible. And I think yeah. for I don't think so too. And and I and like racial discrimination, you know. Yeah. I don't think and I say that because I have my kids are black yeah. and I do teach them to fight for themselves. And I say never use violence. Mm-hmm. You need to defend yourself with your words and your heart, but do not be quiet. Mm-hmm. You no, need to you speak up. Quiet. Don't so, walk away just yeah, you know no, what I, I mean? agree with you on that. There's a lot of ways to defend ourselves that are not healthy. Yeah. So let me just point them out because I think there's yes, a few. That would be very we great. actually have a there's a test. Actually, people can test themselves on that. There's a book called uh, "Crucial Conversations." It's oh, I'm gonna look it up. Okay, uh, it was like four or five years ago, and then you can find yourself a test in that book, which will tell you how you react under stress. And mm. there are uh, two main ways: whether we react with silence or we react with violence. Mm. These two ways are not good because they are reactions. So when you're there, you are wrecked, you're emotionally (laughs) unstable and something is not going to be good for you at the end. And silence, we react with irony, passive aggressively, and then we just get away without telling people that was wrong, which is not good. We Mm -hmm. tend to think that people that get quiet (laughs) are better. It's not. It's as bad as being angry or aggressive. Oh, that's so insightful. Yeah. And then we have the violence way, which is you mask your behavior. That's one of the things. Or the other one, you just get angry and uh, act out on ang- uh, being angry. And the third one, um, if I'm not mistaken, is the, oh, you just, you stamp people. You kind of, oh, you just don't give credibility to those people. So you kind of manipulate. They are not worthy. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, that's something that in corporations people do that all the time. Oh, that's just an intern. Let's not. Yeah. yeah? So that's yeah. a kind of aggression. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, so we have both ways. Even silence is bad. Aggression is bad as well. They're not good for anyone. They're worse for us because they will make us feel uncomfortable and unworthy. 
of speaking up mm-hmm. and being aware that we are getting into these places is very good because then you can know that, okay, if I am here on the silence or I am in the violence, something is happening with me and I need to do something. And then I can decide if I'm going to speak up, but mm-hmm. then I'm conscious about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just not, not being led, right? Or I can decide if I'm going to speak up with someone else that will help me through it because I feel weak in the hierarchy. And yeah. then people can actually get back at me if I do something right now. But then I can do this by perceiving how I react into the relationships that I have. I think that that might be re- helpful, maybe doing the test from the Yeah, because we, I, I'm already, I'm already, I already went online and I'm, that's my next book. Buying the book sure. right now. <laughs> yes, buying the book right now. Uh, yeah. That is definitely something I'm going to read because I'm guilty of all, everything you said about hate, reacting with anger. We uh, all I are just, though. We all are. Yeah. We're just, we just do it uh, in different ways. So some people go to violence more, yeah. some people go to silence more. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think that you know, and you know that I've lost um, colleagues, I've lost uh, contact with family members, I've lost, and all of that by pointing out like sexism. I think it, we're in a day and age where we can't let that go anymore, and we will lose people around us um, yeah, will, that think yeah. differently. But I, I just think it's not an age and time that we can just let it go and just walk away. We need to gracefully as we can. As, we, as you mentioned, so we actually heard and we can actually make a change, we need to point it out. You know, yeah. it's not just a joke. It's not just like, I was just, I just playing, being playful. I was just like, and that goes with everything. Like your, your boss telling you to work seven days a week, or whatever it is, like we can't, yeah. it's not just the job. That's not just how, you know, men are, women are. And I do believe that we need to point it out. And yes, it's annoying. It's annoying even for me to point it out all the time. But if you don't, you don't bring awareness and you don't bring change. At least that's how I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've recorded a video. This I think the last one I did was about, um, there's also Instagram posts about how do you deal with um, the irony from other people? And uh, <laughs> what, what do you do, right? When people just treat you with anger and uh, how do you handle it and one of the things I always tell people is first you have to realize this is going to cause you something which is exactly what we're talking about Mm -hmm. so if someone does something that is harmful for you first you have to know that it's not normal Mm -hmm. and that you have the right to feel that's not okay Mm -hmm. and uh, this is something I also tell my kid every day we all have the right to feel what we feel. There's no one in the world that could tell us you are not allowed to feel anything because if I felt it, then that's mine. But I can be wrong sometimes by the other person uh, perspective, uh, perspective, what they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. So the second thing after I do that to myself is just go back to the person and say, I don't like this. This is wrong. Please don't do that to me anymore. And if I don't, if I feel weak in the system to do that, then I should just go for help because that's still not right. This person needs to be, that's not right. I think this is two ways. I give the person the chance to get awareness of what they are doing because we are are not aware. Sometimes we do that to people and we don't even realize. Yes. So for example, in my house, we have this rule. You have to tell me every time that I make you feel bad because sometimes this is never going to be my intention, but... 
I don't know. Sometimes I, like I might make you feel. Yeah. So we kind of constantly tell each other, you are making me feel bad. And then the other has the, even my son, he's five. He's saying, you're not supposed to talk like this with me, mommy, because he knows there's some certain tones of voices that are not good. Mm-hmm. And it's very funny because he does this with his teachers. So when his teachers tells him something that they're not supposed to in a different tone, like ironic or aggressive, he tells us, he says, she says this and this is not right, right? And then I said, yes. So uh, then we have the chance to say, I'm sorry, that was not my intention. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to change it right now, yeah. right? Yeah. So I always think that raising awareness and getting back and telling the person or the system this is not right is our responsibility as well because it gives the chance to the other parts to want to change. If they are going to change, that's not on us, but at least they can choose from a feedback, yeah, right? If they want to change or not. So this is something that we always should do on toxic relationships or even in normal relationships that sometimes become more that we can bear with. Yeah, we don't have control of other people's feelings, but we have control how we react to them, right? That's not my phrase and paraphrasing someone. I remember, I I actually posted that on Instagram as well, that we are 50% responsible of what we do to the others, but 100% responsible of how we react to them. So that's the same. So um, I just want to tell a story. So I remember when I was, I think I was very young. I was an English teacher in here in Brazil, Uh right after I graduated. So I I think I was like 21 and I was teaching English for this very big institution here in Brazil. And I was very insecure. It was my first days of classes and uh, Mm -hmm. and I was teaching this uh, a lot older people. They were a lot older than me. And then my boss, she was the owner of the school. She just came around. She didn't tell me she was coming around. She came around. She told me there's been a complaint about your skills as a teacher. So I'm going to watch this class right now. And that, that was so inappropriate to me because, of course, I got so nervous and I felt betrayed and I felt everything that I could. I gave the class. I went home. I slept. The other day, I went there, sit down on her desk, and I was very young. Uh, and I remember telling her that was not good because I understand you have to, if someone told you I was not good enough as a teacher, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. But at least could, you didn't tell me this in advance. I couldn't, I was very nervous. So how are you able to evaluate me mm-hmm. just telling me by that time that I was not good enough? And then uh, because you, you believed in that, you were just sitting right in front of me. I want to be respected. So could you please tell me before ahead or just talk to me before to understand what is going on before you just go and take for granted that I'm not right and the other person is. And I remember I, that, that was the first time I did that professionally. And then she was so scared because I don't think anyone did that Uh ever to her. And she said, sure. And I'm sorry. I didn't know you felt like that. I said, of course. How do you think a person would feel if -hmm. you're doing this? And then she says, well, I actually always do that. So I'm not going to do that to the other teachers anymore because they might feel the same. And I stayed there for like five or six years. It was a very nice place to work. You see, it was just something that she did. Uh, make me feel very bad uh, and I had to point it out of course I slept before because otherwise I think it was, was not going to be a good conversation <laughs> yeah. yeah you paused 
and yeah. then we talked through it and so so this is this this is the examples i think we should can uh, i can i give one use. example of your own life and uh, yeah. that you told me years and years ago it stuck with me forever i to this yeah. date i think about it which i think again it was a very creative and kind way of doing it without using violence to defend yourself you came to leave the united states when you were very young you were what 13 12? So 14, yeah. 14, 14, yeah. You came to the United States. You, you were living in Brazil, born and raised there, yeah. and you came to spend six months in the United States. And you started in a new school as a new kid. Yeah. You didn't speak English. Um, and I'm sure you were very scared. And you got into the bus to go to school. Yeah, And yeah, it was yeah. the school bus, bus, and the other kids were not being nice to you. And when you went to see it, if, again, brand new, you didn't know anyone, you didn't speak the language, you didn't know the culture. Um, mm. They were probably the popular ones, I, I'm assuming. And then when you went to see it on an empty seat, um, someone told you no. Um, and, and then the, the person that was sitting to next, the, the seat was empty, and there was a yeah. kid sitting next to it. That kid's lit. Uh, down and sat on yeah. that seat that you wanted and said, no, this seat is taken. Yeah. And I would start screaming and defending myself. <laughs> and that would That's be my reaction. That's what I wanted to do. Actually, I wanted to cry. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> I but actually instead, cried that day, but later on. <laughs> but instead, what you did, would, I think it was fantastic. You sat down on that person, the kid's well, lap and yeah. said, okay, I'll sit here. Yeah. And so you sat down on her lap and then she obviously gave the seat to you and that never happened again yeah and i thought that was again. so powerful i know i don't know yeah. if i ever told you that but i thought it was so powerful and i still use that as an example to my life and yeah. i was like it take a lot of it takes a brave person to do that yeah i don't know so, why i did that though i was not conscious enough i think <laughs> but that's a great <laughs> reaction to that have day. that's a great reaction yes so i yes. think and you we were should like be clever doing, you were even funny places. you know and that was just yeah. amazing and so um yeah i think that's great and i just um want to say to everybody even though i quit uh you know we always picture the worst that can happen and i think you know one exercise is if you are in a situation toxic and all Actually, write it down. What is your biggest fear? Yeah. What is the worst that can happen? Write it down and then brainstorm solutions. That will help you because you're going to see there are solutions, even if the yeah. worst happens. And, and, and talk then, to people. I don't it, think we yeah. should be doing that by ourselves. No, look for help. Yeah. That, you're right. Yeah. Even if it's just a friend or someone you're married yeah. with, just uh, whenever you're feeling that something is not right to you, even if your own thoughts, it doesn't need yeah. to be necessarily a toxic relationship. Yeah. Talk to someone and just ask this person, can you, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Yeah. I want you to help me to be clear about my thoughts. Yeah. So can you do that for me and help me? Because I feel like I'm being <laughs> a little confused about yes. things that might happen. And that works. Yeah. And I had that. I actually spoke with another professor from another department. And she never told me what to do. But she was with me the whole time. That's Literally, good. she was standing there. And the physical presence, and when I went to quit, actually talked to the dean, which is a very scary thing to do. She was yeah. with me. She didn't say a word, you know, but she was there with me. And she didn't have to. You know, yeah. she didn't have to do that. But I agree with you. And running your thoughts through someone else, it, it is definitely because at one point you think it's you and you were crazy and that's happening because of you. Because, yeah. of course, the person is doing that to you. Said, that does not have happened before. It only happens with you. And But what I want to say is at the end, 
I know it's not for everybody and I know they're very sad story, life stories and I'm not trying to make this a rainbow. But, you know, at the end, everything works out and it worked out. And the same day I quit, the day I quit, the day I quit, I received a phone call of my current employer offering me a job position. He didn't even know I was quitting that day. He didn't know wow. any of that. But I was ready to go work at Starbucks and, yeah. and I landed in this incredible job. So yeah. things do happen. I think the happen. grand thing here is um, even though if, if your situation is hard or if you think it's hard, you should not be feeling bad about working or about being dumb because mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's not normal in any kind of institution. And yeah. if you're feeling that, and if you're sure that you're not feeling that because of you, because of what things you have learned about yourself, there's something about the environment that re reinforces that feeling. Something is very wrong. Mm -hmm. You should not be feeling that you're owning, that you're lacking uh, all the time. That's not good or normal or healthy. So seek for help. Talk, talk to people, uh, search for things that might help you. And if you can, if you can't change the situation, try to change the environment because that's not, that's not going to be good for you. So um, in my master's, like, I had the same situation. I actually, I almost quit. We almost came back early to Brazil because when I realized there was this uh, kind of environment right there, I just... I didn't comply with it, and I asked mm -hmm. myself, what am I doing here? So I've, when, once I've decided to stay because of me, because it was my decision to finish and, and do it, what I did was I've established some limits for myself, and my husband helped me out on this. So how many hours am I, am I going to study? These hours, more than that, I'm not allowed. So he would help me out if I was just pushing too much. Uh, I was going to get back by weekends because I got like six months without weekends because I was just studying and working, studying and working. So we established some ground rules for us, for me, for my mental health. Uh, so boundaries. So I could just be okay. You yeah. established boundaries for yourself. Yeah. That's very clever and wise. Yeah, which is one of the treatments we do uh, when we establish how people can get cured of from toxic relationships. And then the third step was I went and talked to everyone in the university that I could just raise the awareness that what they were doing was not right. So I've talked and how to was the head of the department. Well, uh, <laughs> it was funny. Uh, it depends. But when I talked to the head of the department, he said he was aware of that. And then I said, well, then you're more responsible than I thought, because if you're aware of that, why are you not changing anything? And mm -hmm. he said, well, the system is complicated. And I said, you're the head of the department. You can do things. Uh, and that's on you now, because it just let him, that's on you, your responsibility. And uh, my mentor said that was normal that people felt like that. And then I said, do you think that is normal that people feel is normal and cry on your room because it's too hard and they are mm -hmm. feeling dumb? And so I, they, I don't know what they did with that. What I know is that uh, just like two months before I leave, they were doing like workshops so students could understand how they could be supported by other mm -hmm. people, which is something we didn't have in my case. There is no support at all. Mm -hmm. So maybe they tried, maybe they didn't, but they were there with their problems. And if we have someone from an institution listening to this podcast, or we have someone that would like to bring to their, um, you know, employers, like, is that something you can hire people? Like, I'm imagining that's something you do, you get hired to do to 
come yeah. in and change a culture and yeah, and do that in a company. So you need a professional to do that, right? Because we're not trained to do that. So you yeah. need need to hire. Is that something you offer? Like people can get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. That we do that uh, in corporations and in individual as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's something that there's a lot that, that can be done to change cultures. But mm -hmm. this will pass through awareness. There's Mm -hmm. No other way. You have to mm -hmm. admit you have a problem, as in mm -hmm. illness, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yes, we have a right. problem, now we fix the problem. That's the yes. same process. Yeah. Franceli, I cannot, I, this went so above and beyond. I thought it could be so helpful. Um, bringing the awareness that I'm more anxious than I thought I was and uh, <laughs> I need more help I'll, I'll, tomorrow no, is my therapy that we didn't even talk about the treatments but meditation that's, that's <laughs> true meditation I do yeah <laughs> nowadays we have apps I have the app on my phone but Guess what? The app doesn't do anything if I don't turn it on and do the meditation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just having the just having the app on my phone doesn't really work. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, meditation for sure. And but I do I do think we cover treatments like all the tips you gave about setting boundaries, about breathing, about speaking up in a kind and tougher way. And by being kind, I'm not saying being weak. It's just to be heard. Yeah, just be, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. And I think we went through like the lists and everything that you said. I think, yeah. And I, I think that's awesome. And identifying is the most important thing. And then look for help, right? Like professional help or there are groups that can help you too. But yeah. thank you so, so much for this. This was so, I learned so much and um, can't wait. Um, we need to have you back and maybe having you producing some content for Vet Ahead yeah, to help I'm happy people to help. out there recognize all of this. So thank Great. you so much for your precious time and thank, thank you everybody you. for listening and um, I hope to speak with you soon. Bye-bye. All right, all right. Here we are for our The Honest Mistake. This is the part of the podcast where I fact check what we said and make sure we didn't say anything silly or inaccurate. I get the data, I check everything. But if by any chance I missed some mistake and you picked up, let me know in our social media. Go to our Instagram page, The Vet Ahead. Let me know there. Did you find out something? Did you pick up something that I missed? Let me know. For today's episode, I didn't really find many things to talk about. One of the minor things I found was when we were talking about veterinarians being um, on its majority introverts. That does not seem to be the truth anymore. Maybe it was something that happened in the past, a trend, but over the years, um, that does not seem to hold truth anymore. I did find that comment in multiple sources that were not scientific, so many pages kept repeating that information on, online. However, when I looked at data, scientific data in scientific journals, I couldn't find the same thing. These personality types, they all are based on the Myers-Briggs type indicator, which is a test you can take online as well. And they have different scales on this test. And I had to study a little bit and find out what it actually meant. I never took this test before. It seems to be fun. Um, I think it helps understand how people interact and think and how they make their decisions. They have the different scales. The first one is um, one's direction of the interest. If it's the outer world, 
then you are extrovert, or if it's an inner world, and then you are introvert. They also bring that 75% of the general population is estimated to be extroverted. And I'm assuming that's the population of the United States. Then they have a second scale. It's how one perceives the world around us, um, the ways in which we gather data from our surroundings. So sensors, which are the S, is a attach importance to the immediate, to realities, to information picked up by the senses. They tend to be very, very practical. Then there is the intuitors, the N, they tend to rely on inferences, the abstract, possibilities, and approximately 75% of the general population is described as sensing. And I think I would be a sensing too. Extrovert, I think, in sensing so far. There is a test, of course. You don't choose it. I'm just being playful here. The third scale um, describes the decision-making style. So you have the thinking, the thinkers, I guess, uh, letter T. Those types utilize logic and objectivity. They are very analytical and firm-minded and focus on content and production. Ooh, I think I am that one. Then there are the feeling, which is the F-types. Um, the other hand, they consider personal values and subjective impressions. They tend to be concerned with relationships and processes. There are gender differences when it comes to this scale. About 60% of the males in general population identify as thinking, while 65% of females indicate feeling preferences. And the fourth um, scale considers how we prefer to respond to the outer world, either by judging the J-types, they prefer to be systematic, organized, and in control. Uh, that might be me right there. Perceiving, which is the P uh, letter, Perceiving types, they are spontaneous, curious, and adaptive. I think I'm a little bit of that too. About 60% of the general population is described as judging. So that is the scale. And now to understand in the veterinary population, that I did find a paper. Uh, it was a little bit difficult to find scientific data among the veterinary community. I did find one in the Journal of Veterinary Medical Education. It's a 2009 paper. They did look at personality and gender at the Louisiana State University um, school students. They found, um, what they found in this paper is that both the female and, and male profiles have evolved from what was established by modal um, the two main types of distribution um, personalities, those are ESTJ and ISTJ. So the ESTJ are the extroverts, sensing, thinking, and judging. Those were about 11.8% of the population of students at LSU. And then there were the ISTJ, which is introversion, sensing, thinking, and judging, which were about 10.3%. So again, very, very similar percentages. And again, overall, they say on the paper that this bimodal um, established personality that they picked up among the students, they, they were only 28% of the total profile. So not even that high. Again, we might not be all introverts as we thought we were. <laughs> and it, I thought it was interesting. They, they mentioned how those personality types, how they interact with the world. They 
mentioned that the ISTJ personality personality type, so the introverts, they are more task-oriented, independent, decisive, and a matter of fact, they also take time to consider and weigh information before making a decision. I don't really think so much before I make a decision. <laughs> they hold firmly to their choice. They are very reliable, determined, persistent, and conscientious. Again, this is not just the introvert type. This is the ISTJ type. Their communication style is nonsense, or actually no, no nonsense. They're practical, they're logical, they're efficient, they're focused on the task at hand and straightforward, and they center on results. And they mentioned that people with this personality type give and, expe give and expect others to follow exact directions. I can definitely see a lot of people like that in the veterinary world. On the other hand, the ESTJ personality types, they solve immediate problems and achieve clearly defined tangible results. They use the resource effectively, making the best of existing systems and structures. They use the past experience as a reference point for current analysis and decision-making. They work from a plan. Oh, do I have a plan? They use a structure. Oh, do I love structure? They have schedules. My life is governed by my schedule. And they have standard operating procedures. Hmm. They hold self and others to clear standards and live by them strictly. Ooh, okay. In their communication style, they are quick to question ideas and facts. My boss would agree with that. They enjoy discussion. My husband would agree with that. Debate and competition. They do not hesitate to share opinions and adopt a take-charge approach. Oh, leaders. That's fine. And are to the point, outspoken, abrupt, or impersonal. So those were the findings of the study. They did find a gender difference on the study as well. Um, among those LSU students, the females uh, predominantly, uh, the perception preference in the four of the five types was sensing, and the predominant decision-making preference in three of the five types was feeling. And for the males, the predominant perception preference in three of the four was sensing, and the predominant decision-making preference in four of the five types was thinking. So females were feeling and males were thinking. And that seems to be in um, accordance with the general population. So that was the information I found for our personality types. So the other thing we talked about was euthanasia. We did talk about how performing euthanasia um, among veterinarians can be implicated um, or even a contributing factor to the prevalence of suicide risk, um, distress, mental illness, you name it. It is definitely something I personally do not take for granted. But I did find a paper, um, The Distinct Role of Performing Euthanasia on Depression and Suicide in Veterinarians. This is from the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology, 2014. They sampled 540 Australian registered veterinarians. So from all these veterinarians, 63.8% were women. I did not find strictly related to data strictly related, related to Americans when it comes to euthanasia, like this paper uh, approach it. But this paper had some very interesting results. A, when in some parts against what um, the common sense will be and 
what the other papers uh, bring. They did talk about and they did highlight the relationship between performing euthanasia and suicide. Um, they say that it that relationship is way more complex than what was anticipated. And I have to agree with that, not that opinions matter, but I think it is a little bit more than just saying if performing euthanasia will increase or not the risk of suicide. It's, there's way more to that. The author suggests that because of the exposures of veterinarians to euthanasia, they might have a different relationship to suicide, which makes so much sense when I read that. I was like, yeah. If you have the power, if you hold the power to terminate a life, your relationship with suicide or life in general has to be different. And the implication was that performance of euthanasia might make suicide seem more acceptable to veterinarians. The study also showed that the euthanasia frequency was positively related to depressed mood, but it was a small correlation. And they also found that the performance of euthanasia, for reasons that the practitioner does not agree, appeared to have no impact on suicide risk or depressed mood, which personally to me is difficult to understand because I am one that refuses to perform euthanasia if I do not agree with the motives and reasons for the euthanasia. Um, I get a lot of um, passionate feelings about it sometimes, but at the end of the day, is a individual decision. Uh, I am the one performing it, and therefore, I feel like I have a say on it. But what they found also was rather than the the performance of euthanasia for reasons that the practitioner disagrees, it was overall the frequency of euthanasia that appeared to have the greatest impact on the two measures of mental health. Very interesting. Again, if we start digging, there are so many um, good information out there. I just brought one. I brought up this one because I found it was conflicting with the previous information, as well as bringing some more detail to the discussion. Last but not least, the financial aspect. I did find some information here about the financial the financial aspect and the stressors. And veterinarians, veterinary students with the tuitions and student loans. Um, and I found information from the American Veterinary Medical Association. The cost of four years of resident tuition for veterinary graduates in graduate class of 2018 ranged from 146 to 300,000. Again, this is information from the American Veterinary Medical Association in the United States, and the cost of four years of resident tuition for veterinary graduates in the graduating class of 2018 ranged from 146000 to 300, 304000 actually. This is a lot. This is a lot, and it's very understandable why it has such a huge impact in mental health. There is also the 2018 AVMA report, which is the American Veterinary Medical Association. It's a report of the market for veterinarians. Here I found that the medium annual income for all veterinarians was about 92000 with only 9.3% of the profession earning more than 200000 annually. So if you're making 92000 per year, but you own 300000 
that can be very stressful. Meanwhile, um, on the same year, 2018, the physician compensation report, so the human doctors, they had an average overall salary of 299000 so way above the veterinarians. I also found some interesting information when it comes to gender and finances. It's a study with demographics, uh, measure of professional achievement, and gender differences. And those were for diplomats of the American College of Veterinary Surgeons in 2015. Um, it's the Journal of American Veterinary Medical Association. So they found that men had a significantly higher medium income than did women. So those, again, are surgeons. They are specialists. They are not general practitioners. So that's why the rates are going to be a little higher. So men earned about 194000 versus 129000 that women earned. So again, women, 129000 men, 194000 A very clear demarcation and difference there. And those were after adjusting for race, age, ethnicity, location of the residency, um, or the residence, sorry, employment status, diplomat year, species specialty, number of additional academic degrees earned, practice type, academic title, or private practice, ownership status. So after adjusting for all of that, women still made 18% less than the men. We do need to rethink that. If you hold power, if you, if you have a corporation, if you own a corporation or if you want to practice or if you're just an associate in a practice and you know that there are disparities in salaries, we need to speak up. We need to make the difference. It starts in a very small scale and it, it grows. But if you do hold power, then you need to think of those things with gender, with race, with ethnicity, and, and so forth. We need to make the world better for everybody. And just a less fun fact, um, a recent census of veterinarians in the United States, this is a, a JAVMA paper, 2019. Um, apparently, among the veterinary population, 39% are now millennials. I fall under the millennial category depending on which classification you look at. I was born in 1981. Um, sometimes, depending on the classification, I do fall under millennials. So again, 39% um, were represented by millennials and women represented 61.7% of the veterinary workforce. And the men, again, 38.2%. Those are just percentage of the workforce, uh, the active veterinarians at, the, at that year that they looked at. So that's it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. I hope you learned. I hope it was entertaining. And I hope it makes you think about the world and the change we can make. I will talk to you soon in the next podcast.